Hey everybody, welcome to the latest edition of Volley. I'm Carolyn April, and as always, I'm looking for my good buddy Seth Robinson. Seth. Hey, hey here I am in my team colors. Go Michigan! Yes, oh, no. good for you. Good for you. I'm, I was oh, very. Gosh. Yeah, for those of you uh, that are just listening on the podcast, you know we're here on video. I've got my Michigan sweatshirt on. I mean, Carolyn, you're lucky. I didn't paint my face for for the episode. Oh, today. I would have enjoyed that. That would have been great. Come on, next time maybe we'll give you two two volley sessions to gloat about Michigan. That's fine. I gloat okay, a lot I'll about take, my teams. I gloat about take, my yeah, teams. Yeah, you, you've been living in national or, you know, championship world for so long. <laughs> you're probably numb to it now. No, I'm very happy for you. I was rooting for Michigan as well since I'm a Big Ten school person. Yeah. And uh, and when they won, I thought of you first. So very oh, happy. thank you. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I've been on, uh, been on cloud nine here. It's been pretty good. Um, I, I'm expecting that's maybe the end of a, of a decent run here, um, but I'll take it. So <laughs> enjoy it while you can, for sure. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, well, we could fill up the time here dissecting Michigan's amazing season, but uh, we'll, we'll turn our attention to our other topic of the day. Uh, we're going to talk about data today. Uh, it's a topic that we've talked about before, and, and we kind of talk about it almost regardless of what we're talking about, whether we're talking about cybersecurity or if we're talking about setting up infrastructure, data usually figures into that, you know, some way or another. Um, But this time we're going to be focused specifically on it. And we wanted to bring in someone that uh, works in this a lot more directly than we do. So we are really pleased today to welcome Joe Derry. He is the Vice President and Dean of Data Analytics, Computer Science and Software Engineering at Western Governors uh, College of IT. Uh, Western Governor University. He's also part of the CompTIA Certification Advisory Committee, so he gives a lot of insight onto how we would shape our certifications, specifically Data Plus and Data Sys Plus that we've got out there now. So, Joe, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much for having me, Seth, Carolyn. It's a pleasure to be with you guys. Terrific. Glad to have you. So, Joe, I, I thought as we started here, uh, I'd, I'd love to hear from you a little bit of like your viewpoint on the history of data, because obviously, like we've talked about on the podcast, like we've talked about in the research, digital data is something that's been around for a long time. But I think the ability to utilize that data, the ability to manipulate it, the ability to analyze it has evolved quite a bit over time. And I think there's been a significant tipping point you know, in the past five to 10 years uh, where companies and organizations have really ramped it up. So, uh, you know, just in your words, you know, kind of how do you see that arc of corporate data uh, as companies have been trying to use it? Yeah, it's a great question. And, you know, greetings from a snowy and icy Boston, Massachusetts area to everyone as well. Mm-hmm. So when I start thinking about that evolution and the tipping points, I actually think there's several tipping points that happened over the last 25 to 30 years. And before I came to Western Governors, I had the pleasure of working for EMC in data storage and then Dell Technologies as well. So I was kind of born into data because of those companies that I started with. And if I think back to the evolution, it kind of followed how the technology was evolving. You know, we went from having relational databases and your traditional data warehouse and all the fun that came with that. And I can remember back trying to run a query over a weekend, coming in on Monday morning and crossing my fingers that that thing did not have an error on Monday. Otherwise, the entire week was going to be lost. Most things were structured at that point too. We weren't really talking about streaming data. We weren't talking about edge computing and internet of things. We were playing in SQL for the most part. And then we started to see things like 
the evolution of Hadoop start to come in. We started to see MapReduce. We started to see business cases that were looking to take in and ingest data that was no longer structured. We had semi-structured, we had unstructured. We had this emergence of a data lake and there was this big rush to try to get this new cool buzzword. And then people realized, well, those data lakes could very quickly become data swaps, which we can also talk about. And amazingly, if you look now to the last five or so years, you now have this thing called a data lake house, which is basically a data warehouse and a data lake had a baby. And they took a little bit of both worlds where you can get all that funness and structure that came with the data warehousing and with relational databases in a semantic layer, along with the benefit that you can actually work with that raw unprocessed data and really let those data scientists and data engineers loose on that data. So it's it's been interesting to see that evolution and a lot of it comes back also to those those Vs that you'll get with data. And you know, it used to be volume, velocity, and variety were kind of the big three. But in a couple of the articles I've been reading recently, there's now variability. There's veracity, which is around trustworthiness and accuracy. There's value. And I even saw an article recently that included visualization. So mm -hmm. I'm starting to wonder if I should ask ChatGPT what the next V is going to be that's in here. But long story short, it really followed a lot of the technology advancements, but also the needs of the business first and foremost. And that need for faster access to data, that need to try to centralize and get everyone working in one system versus those access databases that are kind of hidden under your desk. And we all know what those things were, right? You'd almost have IT teams going around the corporate floor looking at, okay, you have an access database and you have an access database. And how can we get all those things into the data lake, which is why it became a dumping ground, to now saying, okay, well, trustworthiness and data accuracy and lineage of that data are really important because the new AI that's out there and generative AI and the large language models rely so much on the accuracy and lineage of that data. Otherwise you get hallucinations and potential inaccuracies. So the last 25 years have really shown that evolution and it's really exciting to see what's next and how the business is continuing to push for more. Okay. Listening to you, um, the, the, the word that comes to mind isn't a V word, but it's a C word and it's complexity. And, <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and, you know, clearly um, I remember the SQL days I used to write it. That's when I was writing about technology more than I was analyzing it. And, um, and I, you know, I remember, you know, the people who worked strictly in, you know, data warehousing and they did the things that you're talking about, queries and, and worrying about it over the weekend and all of that. And everything that you've described since then in this evolution has, is both exciting, as you said, but also it's daunting, it sounds. Um, so I, I was hoping you could talk a little bit about um, the things that people who are going to get into this, mm -hmm. get into this field, get into this line of work and, and try to make these things happen for their business as accurately and as well as possible. And what are some of the kind of foundational prerequisites that they have to have in place for this to work? And then secondly, what do you see as sort of the big hurdles for doing data successfully, if that's a term? Um, and, and, and just give us a little bit enlighten, of enlightenment there about things that um, those who are getting into this field or those who are in it right now need to worry about and need to make sure that they deal with. You know, I, I love the questions and the use of complexity, and maybe we should be advocating that it's the V's and C's that should be coming <laughs> out there. But, you know, it, especially as all this data becomes accessible and you have it coming from all over the company, from almost every device in some way where you have more of that edge computing, that then becomes a question of what do you do with it? How do you prioritize? And there's an interesting shift back to foundational data management and a lot of folks realizing 
-hmm. that if you don't spend time on foundational data management and really build a robust data engineering capacity with governance, mm -hmm. you know, and documentation, you know, I'm kind of thinking back to the Calibra days when Calibra was really popular. You kind of end up blind and you have a lot of these different silos that are starting to pop up. So as you were asking the question, there were two things that kind of came to mind for me. One was an awareness of the greater ecosystem that's at bay, regardless of the role that you have in the data or analytics space. And that's why I think you've seen data ops teams, data operations teams really start to pop up that are looking at that end-to-end -end process from original mm -hmm. ingestion into some kind of an integration into a business product that may have some kind of a feedback or recursive loop. And that data ops function has been charged with making sense of that greater ecosystem and making sure that all the bells and whistles are working and the data is flowing and you have that monitoring of drift in some way and failure. It's almost like a DBA on steroids in some way. You also now have this new avenue around decision intelligence that's really starting to pop up and I'm a big advocate of, which is saying, great, you have the process and the technology, but there's also this other people, people that we should be thinking about. And the fact that we are not rational agents, rational actors, and we have biases and we have interests and motivations, and that's potentially gonna deviate even from what that data ops team was originally intending. So a larger look at the picture and then going back to the basics. And I was even having a conversation with another company yesterday, just talking about the evolution of data. And I was advocating to them to really focus on foundational data management. So that's quality, silos, classification, volume, velocity, some of those earlier Vs, data governance, and trying to get everyone to the table. Costs. So especially now that you have all these different environment structures too, are you going to be doing this on-prem? Are you going to be doing it with a cloud partner? Are you going to try to run your own cloud, some more of a private cloud? Um, how are you looking at data security and access? How are you looking at disaster recovery? How are you looking at compliance? Especially if you're a global company, you have this wonderful thing, GDPR, and everything that came off of that. So over in the EU, really talking about transparency and lineage of that data and empowering consumers to have a say in what's used. Uh, you have expe uh, the expected speed of the business. So especially now with Gen AI and large language models really being prevalent, how fast do you need to make this available? And if you have a lag of even 15 minutes, what does that mean to your business case? And then this all comes down to the talent. So you have all this complexity. You have these teams that are trying to look at end-to-end -end management. You have a lot of pushback to the basics because, again, without that foundational data management, everything's going haywire. Where are you going to find these people that can really look across that ecosystem or at least have an awareness of the other things that are out there? So to everyone who's listening, my advice is make sure you have some element in your training of that larger ecosystem. Understand where you fit into it, what the end results of that river are. You know, you don't want a garbage in, garbage out scenario. And figuring out how to work collectively with other teams. I mean, it's kind of like how the data science organizations have kind of evolved where you originally started with a data scientist that was a unicorn. And now you have data science organizations that have many different diverse skills that come together like a transformer mm -hmm. to try to be able to move the business case forward. The same thing is happening in the data operations world today. I love hearing your description about, you know, what the world used to be and what it's becoming. And, and as you're talking, I'm thinking a lot about how, you know, the, the cutting edge is moving uh, and large companies uh, like, you know, the one that you, you described, mm -hmm. you know, when, when you're waiting over a weekend for a query, you're, you're using quite a bit of resources, you know, in order to make that happen. And, and smaller companies just weren't playing in, in that, you know, air arena, uh, I think, at that time. Uh, they're, they're probably not 
still able to be right on that cutting edge and, and be thinking about all of the different facets that you're talking about. I'm wondering, mm -hmm. you know, how would you tailor some of this for a, a small to medium sized company? You know, the, the very smallest companies are, are probably really constrained here. But if you think about a company that's got 100, 150, 200 people in it, so they've got some amount of resource, but they can't quite tackle everything that you're talking about. They, they can't quite, you know, hire in a bunch of specialists. Yeah. What would be some of the, the most basic things that they would need to think about as they're trying to maybe get on their feet and, and do some of this foundational data management that you talk, you're talking about, and then try to access some of these things that have become a little bit more available, um, even if they can't mm -hmm. push that very cutting edge of data management and analysis? Yeah, it's a great perspective, and I will say it applies to the large corporations, too, what I'm about to say, which is the principle of parsimony. Keep it simple. Mm -hmm. I will say that in my 11-plus years I spent between EMC and Dell, the most impactful model in Dataflow that I ever built was for a decision tree that impacted sales. The decision tree, mm -hmm. not one of these fancy generative AI algorithms or anything like that, mm -hmm. something that's really bread and butter. And when I start thinking about the folks that are like, oh, I need to get into edge. I need to do uh, data mesh architecture. I need to look at a data fabric, right? We need to be able to put things into the hands of folks immediately. The big question is why to begin with, you know, do you have robust business intelligence capabilities? Um, which by the way, you know, may just be in Power BI or Tableau or ThoughtSpot. It doesn't need to be this big, big thing. Um, do you have foundational data management practices in place, which could be managed on an access database on one centralized machine potentially? And then what are you trying to do to the business process? And a lot of the value I've seen from a lot of these initiatives are actually in optimizing business processes first and foremost. So you start thinking about the end-to-end -end data flows, even for a small company, and you ask yourself, okay, well, what are different inputs to this process? What are the different confounders to this process? How could I potentially evolve this process? And you quickly realize that you're creating value before you even deployed any of this advanced technology. So take baby steps into it. To do foundational data management, you do not need the, the latest and greatest tech. You can start building your first data lake, which by the way, you can create on your own machine. You know, there is a lot of open source technologies that are out there. And as you begin to scale with business cases and you can prove ROI, you can start to step into potential SaaS offerings if you don't want to build a robust IT function within your business. Um, in fact, I will say a lot of large companies move into SaaS offerings anyways with a lot of the partners that are out there. And then you can start to gradually go towards, okay, well, if the business cases are maturing, let those start to drive how you want to ramp up on that technology. Don't necessarily assume that you need to start at the cutting edge because there is a ton a business value that's there with low-hanging fruit, with SQL, with basic analytics models, and with uh, business process reoptimization. Yeah, mm -hmm. no, that, that's great. I think um, you know, for CompTIA, you know, many of the folks in in our audience, especially on the membership side, do run small companies, and they do help other small companies as their customers try to figure out how to uh, work with data. So um, that's you know very good advice that you don't have to be you know, off the charts with expertise right from the get-go. And there's a lot of foundational um, approaches that you can take to get yourself started. Um, shifting gears just a little bit, we have mentioned AI a couple of times here in passing, um, but mm -hmm. we haven't, uh, it's kind of the elephant in the room, but um, what you know? What what does AI do to our data landscape? I mean, clearly, it's it's really all about data and the quality of the data and what goes into AI. But you know, what are some of the challenges that you see 
and maybe the you know the the opportunities as well um, that come from AI with respect to how we manage and use our data. You know, the first thing I'll start off with is I'm so thrilled that OpenAI and ChatGPT kind of came out the way it did in January of last year because everybody and their mother is talking about AI. And you know, I even had some family members that have never really been interested in this space ask me about ChatGPT and how to use it and things like that. So it's like the best advertisements for analytics that has kind of been out there. But what it's creating is really following the Gartner hype cycle in a lot of ways. It's you know this cutting edge thing. Everyone's got to use it. Nobody really understands how to implement it and what the implications are. And a lot of companies are starting to hit the brakes in some way saying, whoa, 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 what's going on here? Because from it, you're going to be getting a ton of metadata that's going to be coming back. So big data is going to get even bigger. So every time you go into one of these generative AI platforms and you play around with it, it's creating records that are feeding back and retraining the algorithms, more data. Then you're starting to look at quality and bias issues. We've all heard about some of the generative AI with the hallucinations that are out there where it's basically making up history in some ways and everyone's now racing to try to tackle that. You've had explainability and traceability issues start to pop up. So should we just take the word of whatever some of these algorithms are saying. And I will tell you, as somebody who has deployed different AI and ML applications into a business, people want to understand why a particular prescription or, or a prediction or an estimate or probability is being provided. If you're going to a salesperson and trying to say, of these 10 accounts, this is the order in which I want you to call them, more likely than not, they're going to say, why? What is this going to do for me? Is it going to help me to hit my quota and my goals? What are some of those motivations that are there? So if you're not using different forms to say, okay, well, these are the factors that are going into it. These are some of the positives, some of the negatives. You bring them into the process with you to actually make them co-authors and put them in the co-pilot seat. So there's really a trust aspect there. Everything starts to fall aside. So if I sum that all up, it's been amazing to get the publicity on the AI side and the excitement that's there. But what's starting to happen now, about a year into it, is folks are realizing there's a lot more to actually affecting change, meaning creating change within the business, if you're going to implement these things. And you start to also think about the data structure that has to sit behind it. You know, what's the latency that you need to be able to refresh these algorithms? So, you know, is the data volatile enough that you need to be refreshing it daily? Maybe it's within an hour, maybe it's within a minute. Do you have a business that doesn't change as often so you can refresh that data maybe monthly or quarterly? That's something you're gonna be thinking about and that's gonna influence that data structure behind the scenes. If you need something that's refreshing every 15 minutes, you're gonna need something that's very robust with compute heavy architecture. That's just how it is. You're gonna need something that's probably in memory at that point. But if you're doing something that you're gonna update once a month, which is pretty reasonable for an enterprise AI algorithm, depending again on that volatility, you know, a traditional SQL database may be fine for that. You might even be able to do it in Excel, depending on the size of whatever it is that you're looking at, the number of customers that you have, the number of products, the number of leads, et cetera. So let the business case again, drive it, try to match the data infrastructure behind it to it. And then remember that a lot of this is hype and a lot of the business value again is gonna come from that step function of understanding the business process, re-optimizing that business process and figuring out where AI fits within it. That lines up so well, I think, with what we've been saying about this trend, uh, you know, even going back before generative AI, you know, just talking about AI in general as the capabilities we're building, you know, having to think about the inputs a lot more uh, and having to have those inputs 
prioritized and classified and cleaned and, and everything that you know went into it, you know, I think that that is part of a, a longer arc that's been going on within companies as they've been figuring out what do we do with our data and how do we analyze it. And now they have to add in AI on top of that and say, okay, we, we have to get all of this right to go in. And then, you know, you kind of briefly mentioned the, the output and we've talked a lot about how AI is something very different from traditional software. Um, and a lot of people, I think, aren't quite making that mindset shift yet. They're kind of expecting, okay, I've got this output from software. I can treat it as gospel, just the way I used to be able to do with traditional software. And there's a lot more that goes into that uh, in, in figuring out what do you do with this output that, that's been given to you using algorithms and probability and statistics and, and all of that. Um, as we wrap up here, I, I wanted to really quickly ask you about something that Carolyn and I were talking about before the show. You know, she brought up that, you know, within your bio, you talk about how you like to be a storyteller with data. That's something mm -hmm. that we like to do with our research data as well. And as we're talking about these outputs that come out of AI or even traditional data analysis, I just wondered if you wanted to touch briefly on, uh, on, on what that means to try to craft that story that has business value you know, something that I'm guessing that you did with that decision tree, right? You know, that it's it's maybe simple enough, but it's exactly how you present it and how you can explain why it's valuable that really makes it something that people are going to pay attention to. Make us, make all us lay people understand. Right. <laughs> I mean, everyone has different expertise, right? And at right. the end of the day, if you're bringing a data scientist and a data engineer to try to give you a particular insight, there's a reason why they're in the room. And the last thing you want to do is go in and alienate the stakeholders that are there to get that value from you. So I love that you brought up storytelling. And this, I've had an interesting journey with it where if I go back far enough, I was that statistician that would come into the room that would talk about regression outputs and get really excited about what I saw. And then quickly realized that a lot of the business users didn't really care about that. In <laughs> fact, there was even one point where I was referenced as the math tie guy. So I ended up doing two things to fix that. One, I took improv comedy training. So I actually took a 13 week improv course to help me to be more agile, to have more active listening and to be able to run with the curveballs. And I was a bartender for a while too. So being able to just create conversations with folks and put yourself in, you know, for an introvert can be a little bit of an awkward situation, but all of this helps support the fact that data analytics and data insights are influencing a larger decision ecosystem. And that was the big aha moment for me. It is not just about the math, not just about the data, not just about the technology or the process. It's the fact that there are decisions being made, whether it's human-based or autonomous. And as soon as you realize that these are inputs into their larger ecosystem, you realize that there is a story that you need to tell. Mm -hmm. How are you gonna influence this? How would an, a, rational, a completely rational agent work? How would somebody with human biases and motivations and desires work? And then how do I make sure that insight, that data point is in the right place at the right time in the right form? Well, all of that means that you're telling a story to the business to help them to evolve, to be able to change. A lot of times you can't just flip on a light switch and say, I have the data lake or hey, I have the data fabric. I am completely cutting edge. I have, um, I have edge computing. I have all these different sensors that are sending back information. I have an ML ops team that's driving the most advanced algorithm that's out there. And then the business says, you know, they got their little flag. And a lot of that is because they now have analytics paralysis, which is an overload of information. And many of the folks that are watching may think about this as having too many dashboards. You know, you get a dashboard and you get a dashboard and everyone gets a dashboard. And that's the evolution that's happening now, which is 
How do you step away from the fact that the analytical output is not the be all end all in its decision ecosystem that is actually the thing you're trying to influence and then tell the story because you realize that that decision ecosystem doesn't care about technology, doesn't care about process, doesn't care about math, doesn't care about the any of the hard sciences behind it. It cares about the human aspect of it, that human in the loop. And that's why storytelling becomes so, so important. That's fantastic. And so pertinent, I think, to what we do. And I think for something as complex as what you've described during this entire podcast, um, being able to sit down with the business people who work and just to tell them a story about what the the income the the outcome is could potentially be if they decide to use all this wonderful data in the way that you would suggest um, is really the at the end of the day that's all that really matters. Can I add one thing really quick too? Yeah, of course. For anyone who's technical that's listening, that's kind of like, yeah, I'm not a storyteller, or yeah, yeah. I'd rather be sitting in in the corner coding till three o'clock in the morning which by the way, I am definitely that person. You can be a storyteller. There are ways to do it. I mentioned improv. You know, I mentioned bartending on the weekends. You can go take a Toastmasters course. There's other ways to do it. You can be a storyteller. Take it from a guy who would only talk about math, who would only talk about programming and ended up going into roles where I was able to influence very senior executives on something that was very complex because there was a solid storyline. Yeah, that's uh, that's great encouragement there. And uh, Joe, you know, keep your phone close by. Expect a call from our product development team. I'm going to let them know that they need to get started on Improv Plus and Bartending Plus pretty yeah. soon here. And you Improv can, you Plus can would those. be amazing. Improv Plus <laughs> would be amazing, please. <laughs> But uh, thank you very much. This was such a great description. So great to hear, you know, your history and, and, and your viewpoints on the market. I think this is going to be incredibly helpful for our audiences. So really appreciate your time here. Thanks, as always, to our producer, Andrea McMillan. Carolyn, it was great to see you again. And I will check in with you on the next volley. Terrific. Thanks. Thanks, Carolyn. Thanks, Seth. Appreciate it.